Hello and welcome to Balderdash Academy. I'm your headmaster, Bob LeBlanc. Joining me is our faculty, coach of the Balderdash Academy Dashers, Steve Corning. Let's go, Dashers. Professor of Home Ec and Wellness, Marie Stewart Harmon. Hello, everybody. Professor of English Language Arts, Molly McGill. Greetings and salutations. And our four-time reigning champion, Professor of Steam, Nate Green. That's me this time! Hi, guys! (laughs) Our visiting professor today is poet David Blair. David is a Pittsburgh native and author of four books of poetry, Ascension Days, which was chosen by Thomas Lux for the Del Sol Poetry Prize, Arsonville, and Friends with Dogs, his fourth book of poetry, Barbarian Seasons, and his first collection of essays, Walk Around, Essays About Poetry in Place, are out now from Mad Hat Press. Link in the description. Welcome, David. Hey, Bob, how you doing? I'm good. Now, David has agreed to be the scorekeeper tonight while our faculty members compete for the coveted reigning champion banner. Mm -hmm. They will do their best to compete in a series of comedy competitions. At the end of each, David will assign points to a competitor he feels is most worthy. He's not looking for the correct answer, but the best answer. The points are arbitrary and can be given to anyone... For any reason. You're going to get pie. Okay. I love that it. Works. I love pie. All right. pie. <laughs> like a traditional pie or like a pizza pie? Because one of those I will fight for. The way we have been going, it's usually humble pie. So I'll take whatever we can get. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the show, the faculty member with the highest point total will be named the reigning champion. Our current champion is four-time reigning champion, Nate Green. How did that happen? <laughs> I, I don't know. He, everyone loves Nate. Everybody yeah. loves Nate. So that Brown sound knows. means it is now time for a pop quiz. Our first pop quiz is from Professor Molly McGill of English Language Arts. Molly? Oh, so lovely to see all of you again, faculty. Hello, hello, and welcome, David, to joining us tonight, visiting Professor. So I'm going to kick it off, as we always do, with our word of the day. I'm going to say the word of the day. Faculty, you're going to tell me what you know that this word means. David, we're going to figure out which one you like the best, and you're going to award your pie from then on. Mm. Today's today's (laughs) word of the day is... Lipitude. Lipitude. Marie. Um, This is a syndrome typically found in teenagers when they are starting to get a little bit of attitude with their parents. They're they're serving that. They've got a little bit of a lip. It is lipitude. It's a a combination of attitude and some teenage language. A little bit of lip. Thanks, Marie. Uh, yes, Coach. Um, so I know exactly what lipitude is. Uh, it's very simple. This is when I go to a breakfast joint in America, uh, either a diner or a place that serves hot breakfast, and um, asking for a cup of tea. Um, now, usually what happens, one of two things, either it's herbal tea, which whatever, but no caffeine, so not for breakfast, or it's a decaffeinated black lipton okay now lip lipitude 
is what happens when you bring me a decaffeinated Lipton tea bag at breakfast time. I'm going to give you some lipitude. Mm, don't give him decaf. Bob? Mm-mm. So lipitude is a scientific term from the root for lipo. It's the same root that we get liposuction from, and it means fat. And what lipitude is, is what happens after you smack off and get a fat lip. You suffer from lipitude. Okay. Then smack off. Lip. Smack off a <laughs> lip. Not, not sure what kind of brawling that, that is, but <laughs> we're going to just stay with that. Nate, right. please. Save yes, us. Uh, so uh, this is actually um, based on uh, commercials. Uh, in the U.S., uh, medication commercials are huge. Uh, and this started with Lipitor, uh, which um, <laughs> which started being the first really pushy uh, medication commercial. True. Uh, and now, f- from then on, yeah. any pushy medication commercial is considered to have lipitude uh because it's just like talk to your doctor get this medication unless you're allergic to it also this medication (laughs) could require more medication just like this medication but with a different name so that's called lipitude when it's really pushy medication commercials all right thank you faculty for those really insightful and very far off answers david to just to review we have Marie's lippy teen. We have Steve's decaf in the morning is not going to get you anywhere. Mm-mm. We have Bob's inflamed lip. And we have Nate's pushy prescription. All right. What about Steve? Steve had the decaf tea. Decaf tea. Mm-hmm. Pushy medication. All right, all right. All right. So that's a tough question. You know, I mean, um, I can't stand durable tea. I don't like those commercials so your eyes are going to bleed you might die just quick side effect I don't know what Bob was talking about at all (laughs) thank you David thank you we've all been saying it for years what is going on there I couldn't figure that out so but Lipitude seems like it's some name you know for what like a team gives you seems like that should be in common usage like that should be like you know when the word of the year three years from now mm. so yeah. i would give yeah. 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 i'm using my ipad mom i'm using my ipad right. that's some lipitude so got a pie she has <laughs> one pie, pie. <laughs> one, one piece pie. of pie I want, I want, yeah, I think David's on the right track because give, don't give me lip and don't give me your attitude are two very popular phrases. This is just slamming them together. I like that, David. It's just, a portmanteau. Yep. You sure a Natalie portmanteau. Learn that word from Bob. All right. Shall I enlighten you all? Please. Sure. Yes. It's my favorite I mean, I part. Answer. <laughs> um, it's some, it, this word is something that, David, you might have suffered in writing all those wonderful books of poetry. Lipitude actually means to have sore, bleary eyes. Mm. Oh. Mm. Which so medication can I give Bloody eyes from, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Blood, sweat, See, and tears, all right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So. Our first game is called Four Questions and an Honor. 
of our visiting professor's hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Nice. Our four questions will be about the city's most famous export. Zombies. Specifically, <laughs> the film Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. I grew up going to that mall. Monroeville. Uh, Monroeville Mall, yeah. And I used to ride my bike in the cemetery from, from the first one. Wow. Whoa. That explains so much. I did not know. <laughs> I did not know that was a Pittsburgh film. That's so cool. Yeah, very Pittsburgh films are very class conscious. They're about like working, you know, like yeah. kind of socialist zombies. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, he was good. So again, uh, whichever ahead. one of our faculty members gives the best. Not the correct, or necessarily the correct, but the best answer, David will award points our first question. According to Mental Floss, George Romero was leery about revisiting the world of the Night of the Living Dead. He changed his mind after seeing what? Marie? Um, it was the um, the 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 blood effects in um, in the first movie. You know, there was a little bit of ketchup, and it was like pretty obviously ketchup. But then he was able to talk with the props guys, and they were like, "All right, George, we got this this time. It is not ketchup. It is chocolate milk with food coloring." And which is a much better consistency to portray blood. So he was convinced by the new special effects. All right. All right. Molly, what do you have? Um, it's actually, Marie, that's that's a lovely uh, answer. However, it's actually his own reflection after a night of heavy drinking out on the town. He looked at himself bleary-eyed, right? And <laughs> hair disheveled. He had stains on his shirt. And he was like, this is a zombie. I look like I have been through the night of the living dead. Set changed. That makes sense. Steve, what do you have? Uh, he saw a foreigner live in concert. And uh, when they played, <laughs> <laughs> when they played hot blooded, he just, that something switched in his brain. <laughs> All right. Uh, Nate, what do you have? Uh, he just watched the movie Annie. Uh, and he just, he <laughs> saw the performances, saw the red hair, and he's like, I gotta get out of here and go make another movie. Uh, and that's what he did. <laughs> All right. All right. All good answers. Um, Marie was surprisingly close to, uh, nowhere near this answer, but the actual special effects <laughs> in the first movie. Um, so he changed his mind after seeing a crawl space within the Monroeville Mall where supplies were stored and it inspired him uh, to imagine what it would be like to hide in there wow. during an invasion. So all very close. So, David, we have Marie with blood effects, which ironically, Marie, in the first movie, the bodies were made out of roast ham and the blood was all Bosco syrup, Bosco chocolate syrup. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have, so we have Marie's blood effects. We have Molly's, uh, seeing his reflection after a heavy drinking, which did deliver the movie's actual tagline. He thought of the very famous when hell is full, the dead walk the earth after a night of heavy drinking, trying to finish the script. Wow. We saw Steve, uh, he saw a foreigner and particularly like hot blooded. And we saw, uh, we have Nate that he saw Annie and particularly liked the red hair. How would you like to score? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, 
Nate's got some pie. Oh, Nate has pie. Some early Nate pie. Be actually a much better movie anytime, right? Donna the Annie. <laughs> well, George Ramirez. Annie was eating the, Annie. that Arf Dog Sandy Daddy yeah. Poor oh, no. Woman who runs the <laughs> orphanage. <laughs> All the other orphans. It would be this oh, I'm fine with the orphans, but tomorrow. not the dog. A zombie orphanage? Has anyone done that yet? Uh, oh. Yeah. Great advertising idea for it. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. And it's... <laughs> tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> I'll eat you tomorrow. Definitely. It's, it's only a day away. <laughs> it's only... Tomorrow. The sun won't come out. <laughs> Our next question. We need to get Sean French on that. Our next <laughs> question. The dead will come out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> really? We could go all night. Tomorrow. We could really go all night. <laughs> Being widely credited at creating the modern horror uh, staple, George Romero developed the ghoul's performance by doing what? Molly. Oh, I'm so glad you called on me first. Um, by making sure that they all ate a very healthy breakfast of oatmeal. Um, and then before they went on to perform, uh, rolled around in a nest of fire ants. That way they were all twitchy and weird right when they needed to be. That's the kind of method acting you need. Steve, what do you have? Um, he developed this by watching chickens. Uh, if you ever sit down and actually watch chickens uh, i'm sure molly has done this before it is just one of the w- weirdest uh mind opening experiences you'll ever have the the <laughs> the weird movements little twitches of their neck as they slowly you know they can't look out of both eyes at once so they're just turning their head like a weird shaky creature every time they look at anything and then their movements are like a stop motion animation um so i think he developed this the ghoul style based on chickens. So George Romero gave a cluck. Nate, what do you have? Uh, He actually, uh, he knew exactly what he wanted. So he did a little prep work and then he showed the video that he took to the actors. And what he did was he rented an ice cream truck, uh, went just fast enough down the road. So that way the kids couldn't catch up. And he just recorded the horde of kids following the ice cream track and watched how they interacted with each other. Um, and there you got your zombies. All right. So ice cold torture of school kids. Murray, what do you have? Uh, Nate was on to something with it being children. Um, he sent out a casting call to um, a whole bunch of mothers with newborn, not newborn children, toddling children. And this casting call, he got all of the kids milk drunk put them down for naps. And as soon as they fell asleep, he woke them back up and made them take their first steps. Um, and on their first steps of waking up and being a little milk drunk, he had the, the actors playing the ghouls watch this small horde of toddlers in order to figure out how to effectively move their bodies correctly. All right. All had answers. Uh, so the actual answer is... <laughs> that's, that's putting it kind of... Uh, George Romero developed the ghoul's performance by giving them as little direction as possible. (laughs) Um, He wanted a horde of individuals. Mm. So all he said was just be dead. 
So, David, how would you like to score? You have uh, Molly with making sure they ate a healthy breakfast, then rolling in a nest of fire ants. You have Steve watching chickens. Nate rented an ice cream truck and recorded the horde of angry kids. And Marie with angry toddlers. Well, when you watch Men Living Dead, the scariest zombie is the little kid. By far. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know any zombie is really good. So I think Marie's on something. Get some pie. Wow. Toddler toddler zombies with that. Marie with pie. Uh, it would the, be terrifying. I want some The pie. child zombies, by the way, were Tom Savini's nieces. So well, there you go. So, that's what research gets you. Oh, says Molly, <laughs> knowing definitely who Tom Savini is. Oh, wow, that's an interesting fact. <laughs> oh, yes, Tom. <laughs> we go way back. So the Monroeville Mall was a working mall during the shooting of the film, as alluded to by David. Now, because of that, the scenes were all shot at night. So how did the film crew know that that night's filming was over? Steve, what do you have? Um. The director yelled cut. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the director yelled cut. Nate, what do you have? They had uh, all of the children's toys in the center of the mall, like the little roundabout things, the horses, I don't know, whatever. You put the quarter in, although it's like a dollar now. But anyway, uh, they all turned on at a certain time. So once you heard the the children's music playing in the air... Uh, they knew they had to stop filming or just film a different movie entirely. All right, Marie, what's your answer? Um, they didn't. They did not stop <laughs> filming. Right. Uh, it, it, the, the, the footage for the film, it's like a month long, and they had to use several, several tapes. Um, and eventually they realized that they were going to need to take shifts of the filming. So they actually, there is many, many, many cameramen that went uncredited in that film as they had to step in and continue the continuous filming. That makes sense. Continuous filming. Molly, what's your answer? Um, it was actually Debbie LaMontagne, the Monroe Mall head security cop. Mm. She would arrive bright and early every morning to open up the mall and with a howdy, hey, all the malls open. And they'd say, oh, that's hey, it. Yeah. Debbie's here. Time to wrap. Debbie. <laughs> all right. So once again, we have somebody disturbingly close with the actual answer. Um, so the film crew knew that the night's filming was over simply because... The mall's Muzak would start at 7 a.m. and no one in the crew knew how to shut it off. <laughs> Sounds right. So, uh, David, we have Steve with the, the director yelled cut. We have Nate with all of the children's rides music uh, turned on. We have Marie with they didn't. And we have Molly with Debbie Lemontaine, mall security cop. How would you like to score? It's got it, you know, because the ride music is music, right? So I mean, yeah, like, that's exactly right. It starts up, you know, you gotta you gotta stop as you're you're in, you know, raindrops are falling on my head or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's honestly of all the songs you could have picked, that is like Rain definitely the falling on my head. Yeah, exactly right. I hear uh, I that's another. Like... I want to see uh, singing in the rain made into a zombie movie now. <laughs> 
I don't. <laughs> I think we know our next project, guys. <laughs> All right. I, I will say, so, um, I don't know, we're, a lot of us are local to Maine. In, if you go to the, the Auburn Mall in Auburn, Maine, uh, it's usually totally dead, and they still have some <laughs> of these rides in one section. And sometimes you'll be alone walking through the dead end of this mall, and you will just hear like this roller coaster simulator ride for kids, just like has sound effects of children screaming. So you'll just be walking through, you know, raindrops keep walking, falling on my head, and then oh. you'll just. <laughs> 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 it was really weird because it had it had an ice skating rink, mm. in it, right? And then they got rid of it in the eighties, but it would always be like you know you would go out there. You'd see people ice skating in the middle of the summer and things like that. There's also like a lot of plants, you know, it smelled like, you know, like, I don't know, like the, the, the like an indoor botanical garden or something like mm-hmm. that. So it, was, it was a very strange, strange place. Our last question in four questions, Galen Ross, who played one of the main characters, Fran, in the film, refused to do what, Nate? Uh, zip up his zipper on his pants. Um <laughs> he just he just like the open barn door feeling um and uh you know for the for the wide shots it made it difficult but uh you know they made it work all right marie what's your answer uh he refused to die um originally he was <laughs> scripted to um be bitten and die at the end of the movie but he refused he was able to <laughs> convince George Romero, that um, his acting was so phenomenal that he was like destined to be in the next one as well. And so he refused to be murdered off. So the zombie refused to die. Molly, what do you have? Yes. Uh, he refused to chew with his mouth closed. It was it became a big problem in the catering tent. People were talking about it. People were whispering behind his back. People are super grossed out. People are starting to shun him. Um, and it's kind of a big deal, but the guy just wouldn't do it. That works. Steve, what's your answer? Um, everyone knows this. He refused to wear a seatbelt. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys... Loves his rights. Uh, you can't tell him what to do. And so, of course, he he moved to New Hampshire uh, where he can ride around in his truck strap free. No mask for him either. <laughs> Probably. No. no mask, no strap. So, uh, yeah, strap. again, we that? had a number of answers. Uh, so Galen Ross <laughs> so played Francine in the film. And... Uh, when Romero asked her to scream, oh, it's a her. Ross <laughs> said, "Ross said that Fran was too strong a female character, and doing so would undermine that. So Romero never asked her to do it again." Nice, yeah, girl. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, that's right. She did, ish. Yeah, survived. You know, he was kind of the heroic one, right? And then they, they took care of him, though. So the original ending was a lot darker where Fran was going to get her head cut off by the helicopter like the famous zombie kill, but that didn't happen. They changed the ending. So Tom Savini had a leftover head of Galen that he needed to figure out something to do with. And that's why there's an exploding head in the beginning of the film. What are we going to do with this? It's leftover. So she kind of did refuse to die. So David... We have Nate with zip up the zipper on his pants. We have Mal, uh, Marie that he uh, the G- Galen refused to die. 
Molly that Galen refused to chew with her mouth closed, and Steve said that Galen refused to wear a seatbelt. How would you like to score? <laughs> Molly, uh, you know, I just watched the movie Animal House. Mm. <laughs> I'm kind of in between first and second Romero zombie movies. Right? Yeah. So, not eating with your mouth open, John Belushi. <laughs> you got the pie. So, Molly has <laughs> pie. <laughs> nice. Also, would be a good subject of a zombie movie. True. Not dead. Zombie Blues Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> right now, the point stand we have Marie with two pieces of pie, Molly with one piece of pie, Nate with two pieces of pie, and Steve with humble pie. Oh. It's the mathematical value. Oh, 3.14. Mathematical Ooh. value. All right. So we have. We're going to get some half pies in there. That's okay. fine. Right. No, that's quarter, fine. One and two quarter pies. It's going to be a little bit of a challenge. We have Marie with two times pie, Molly with one with pie. We have Nate with two times pie and Steve without a circumference. <laughs> so that's the nicest thing you've ever seen. Join about us me. as we return for a chat with poet David Blair only on Balderdash Academy. Go Dashers! <laughs> Listening is cool and all, but watching gives you so much more. See the players' real-time reactions, flub-ups, and all the snark that intern Alan Smithy can dole out on the running commentary. Only at Balderdash Academy's YouTube channel. We are here today with visiting professor and actual professor David Blair. David is the author of five books. His most recent are Barbarian Seasons and Walk Around, Essays on Poetry and Place, both from Mad Hat Press. Links to all of his work in the description. David, welcome to Balderdash Academy. Nice to be with you, Bob, everybody. So... I have a I, I have a, a quick question. You, you, you were mentioning how uh, in the break you were mentioning how you had a poem that you didn't put into a book, and what I'm wondering is so when you are selecting work for your book, how do you go about making those selections? I mean, to me, it seems like it's almost like choosing songs for an album. You want them to fit a certain theme or a certain tone, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like that. You know, you want to have like a good good opening shot, you know, like good, you know, like it's got to be what's Creek Bop at the beginning <laughs> of a book and you want to have something that's kind of like good kind of sense of closure and then you don't want things to drag, you know, so if somebody's reading, there's like a rhythm to the whole thing, you know, be like, oh, and then um, you sometimes have to things change their meaning you put them next to each other and you realize, ah, it's kind of the same thing. I said basically the same thing there. So I'll throw that one out and then just kind of like, you kind of intuit that, intuit it that way. You know, a lot of people have different ways. Like my friend, I was friend Doug. He says, you know, you put a good one at the beginning, you put a good one at the middle and your best one in the beginning, second best one in the middle and another really great one at the end. Because when people are in a bookstore and they browse, they either look at the beginning the middle or the end 
right? Oh, so she. somebody will go, oh, I like that one. She's yeah, that one's really good too. And then what's at the end is also very good. Yeah. Then you're like, hey, you're gonna maybe make a sale, but I don't, I don't really think that way. You know, <laughs> but that's a good. That that would be a masterful way. Good for Doug. <laughs> Doug <would be> good. <laughs> way to go, Doug. Yeah. I have a I have a question that I think sort of follows into what you were just mentioning. Um, what is the editing process like when you're writing poetry? Like I've only ever edited, you know, professional emails that I've been attempting to sound like a professional <laughs> in. Um, you know, I read it out loud and then I look for spelling errors. It, it must be very different for po I would assume it's very different for poetry. What's that editing process like for you? Well, you know, it takes a long time. You live with them. You hang out with them for a couple of years and you, I like to change things a little bit. You know, I, I'll do look at them all. I make small changes, small changes, small changes. And then they need different things to different kind of work, you know, but uh, some of the things, you know, does, does that make sense? You know, does it have too many words? Did I mess up some sort of rhythm thing? You know, like there's kind of things you have to do. There's like the line, you're, you know, you have to mess up the line, just the sentence and then, you know, instead sometimes just, uh, you know, cutting things or flipping things, changing order. There's all sorts of different things you do. Yeah. Now, we've had a number of stand-up comics on the show. Uh, I used to do comedy. I've hung out with a number of comics and poets. Yeah. They're not too dissimilar, I've discovered, right? So. Yeah. Uh, That's true. They both craft their raw material out of spontaneous inspiration or observation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the work and refine the pace, tempo, riffs. We, they often drink too much, yeah. sleep too little. So how do you balance that, the open burst of creation with the dedicated minutia of refinement? Like, are they different to you? Well, that was poetry in itself, Bob. I love that. You know, that's the whole thing. That's the best part about it. Is it's all a process, you know? Like, you, you gotta have to, you have to woodshed every morning and you know have part of the thing where you just start playing around and you have to have a sense of play you know and that you want to keep that and then the other stuff it's not really like um requiring like you know heavy dedication you know i'm not i i think it's more of a it's just kind of um it's a gift it's fun you know it makes mm -hmm. life it's a lot of pleasure in the writing yeah. process having something like gardening or you know cooking all the good things are processes Mm -hmm. I think, you know, so it's kind of like yeah. just do your process. You don't really think about it. But I think it's true. Like, you have to make it have, if it doesn't feel, I mean, that's something like people have said, you know, if it doesn't feel close to the spontaneous, then you've, you, you, you probably didn't have a very good idea to begin with. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, like a lot of sometimes you'll, you'll do that. You'll, you'll get like an idea and you'll be like, oh, like, I had this great kind of feeling or this vision. Or, you know, I can feel it. And then, then it, you know you write and go oh that doesn't really good and I'm like I'm just gonna maybe uh, redo it and just go I'm just gonna go much faster <laughs> you know I'm just yeah. not gonna think about it that's what yeah. I did with my second kid yeah exactly. <laughs> I like that yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Right. now um you you're a professor as well um what 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 brought you into teaching oh that's wonderful I, you know I. You no, know, um, it's fun. It's good mm -hmm. to work with people. You don't have to sit down at a desk too much. You have weird hours. 
you know, you, you get to interact with people and the, you know, the, there's a kind of element of it. that's not probably, you know, I mean, um, you know, uh, you know, you get, you get to put language in the air and hear it. Right. And you get, you get to introduce people to good things. You know, that that's all, there's a lot of pleasure involved with it. You know, I would like doing that. You know, people who, um, people who I used to like waiting tables and I used to like working in restaurants and part of it was mm -hmm. like, oh, let's have some good stuff here. Yeah. You know, and then teaching is one of those things where you're always doing something that's really good and you help people too, you know, they get good things out yeah. of it, but it's a lot of, you know, part of it is, it's almost like a big, you know, um, it, it's constantly doing something that's good and bringing people things that are good. It's like captaining your own starship. Pleasure involved. Yeah. So I just well, that's, think, you know, that's great. I mean, that's really similar to what you were talking about in the Tupelo Quarterly article with uh, when Catherine Hollander interviewed you. You said um, that one of the benefits of poetry, why poetry is important, is that it makes people aware of their uh, affection for other people and for the environment, for the, the things that are reasonable and good. Yeah. And that kind of brings up and, and touches on not only the beauty of poetry and why it's important, but also why many people now during the pandemic are gravitating or trying to discover poetry as either an outlet or as a release. So to some people who, who, who don't just understand, you can just pick up a book. Mm -hmm. Um, to make it more approachable, if someone was looking to start reading poetry, where should they start? Where would you recommend? Oh, I'd read, uh, you know, poets that are, are like fun to read that have a, a, a feeling of spontaneity to them that make you look at the world, like William Carlos Williams and Langston Hughes. Those are like poets I read when I was, you know, 18 years old and I was living in New York and you'd look around, you know, go take a walk and ride the subway and read, you know, a montage of Dream Deferred or Patterson and you feel like there's all that, you know, that, that, that kind of stuff is good. And I think like listening to music has, has, there's, you know, I listen to a lot of jazz and I feel like that kind of like yep. anybody who enjoys conscious, like the, everybody who enjoys consciousness like your own yeah. mental process. <clears throat> poetry is great, right? <clears throat> the same way music is, you know, you listen to like, <clears throat> I don't know, like a, a Lenny Bruce album. So what I used to listen to like when I was, the yeah. year I, I first started writing poetry every day and I didn't, decided I wasn't gonna get a regular job. I obsessively would listen to like Lenny Bruce albums and jazz albums just constantly and it felt like, yeah. Hey, that's like you know you're, you're you're dealing with consciousness, right? And I think that people like that that you know that you get more out of you know, out of life if you you have a sense of liberation and freedom, and also of of, of having a body living yeah. in a physical world. So that's all in poetry, and it's good good for that. You know, so other people have different reasons for it. You know that they like an idea. You know, they 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 have pain. You know, like that there's a therapy, that there, there, there's things that yeah. speak, you know, very deeply about the nature of trauma, right? And, you know, 
you'd probably, you know, that that's almost like a different, that's another thing that poetry can do, but that wasn't necessarily my, my kind of, you know, entrance. Into, yeah. You know, I used to like drama, you know, and I figure like, you know, kind of like that kind of, you know, caused problems for yourself. You know, I figured it was more interesting to look at an art that would make you not feel suffering. <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> you know, so. There's, there's, there's a kind of a suffering party in a non-suffering party. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not in the suffering party. <laughs> Good. Um, David, how do you feel about iambic pentameter? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Who was that? Useful, uh, uh, flexible, <laughs> kind of, uh, kind of um, good old meter. You know, like there's a lot of good ones. You know, that works pretty good with speech. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Right? it lends itself naturally to that, and you can. You don't have to be too. You could kind of be loosely play with have meters going and things like that. But how do you feel about? I have a confusion, but, you know. I'm, uh, Shakespearean language is something that I've always, always struggled with. And one of my really bad actor habits is at the end of the line, pausing and then continuing on with the next line, which is not exactly how Shakespeare intended it. Um, but that's something that like in my, like just the visualness of it, like when I'm reading a piece of poetry, I feel as though there is, even if it's just half a stop at the end of the line before you go to the next line, is how my brain interprets it. But I know that's not exactly how the, the playwright or the poet intended it to to be read out loud. It's like his two hands, right? Like you play, the, there's the line thing that's going on, but really what you read is the sentence. Yeah. But there's an overlay of two kinds of things that are going on there. Mm -hmm. And just like the sentence usually, you know, I mean, I, I, I is really strange because I think, um, when I was a kid and trying to figure out the way poems scan, you know, yeah. I would, um, a lot of times, like we would try to try to write a pentameter. My friend and I tried to write pentameters and we wrote trochees, right? Like stress, un uh, stress, unstress, stress, unstress, stress, unstress. And, um, I think what we were hearing is that um, people in southwestern Pennsylvania speak downhill, right? Right. A lot of times it's trochaic, right? And it's an American meter, yeah. and that iambic pentameter is like works best. And I didn't invent this; other people have said this, but it's the ascending rhythms of English upper class speech more. Yeah. And so when uh, American poets play with pentameter a lot of times they can be sometimes you know um they can be uh they have to they have to figure out ways to to, to sound that way but so that's that's part of one of the problems with pentameter is being based you know iambic thing but i don't think that you know the way they teach meter is terrible right like so there's all it's very it's very bad it makes people hate poetry yeah you have to have a good teacher. <laughs> I don't even think they do teach most. I mean, I, I think it's really fascinating. I love it. But, you know, uh, you know, I, I also, I don't know. I'm stubbornly interested in it. You know? yeah. yeah. So in my experience with poetry in general, especially being the student in, in high school, mostly, when it came to the rhythm, when it came to like learning pentameter, learning structure, they were too focused on the structure and not using the structure as a means to sculpt 
the language. Yeah. And poetry, much like jazz, much like Lenny Bruce's comedy, right? It was it was more structural and sculptural than it was this hard set fast rule that you had to learn and that everything fits within this rule. Yeah. You know, it's also it's like the tone. Like if once you hear the tone, I, like, you know, everybody they, they teach meter in this way that's really artificial, that it's like apart from tone. But when you figure out the tone of an utterance and then you read it and then you read like Keats, you're like, oh my God, that you can totally hear it, you know, what's going on. And it's, you know, you listen to like what's actually being said and then almost like not pay attention to meter. And then you, you know, just if you kind of go, okay, it's like, these are own stresses, those are stresses, but you know. Yeah. 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 It's more holistic. I mean, probably the way to hear it. You know, when you guys are talking about like poetry and the structure um, and how the, it can be taught very structured, and then I am a pentameter has a specific structure, but I find in poetry, you use the line breaks and the punctuation to really sculpt the pace and the way you want your reader to, to, to read it. And so I think when a lot of people are starting out reading poetry, they don't really understand that because there is a beautiful cadence that is very intentional from the poet when they're writing it. Yeah. But they don't want to learn anything about sentences. Right. So like students will just like not punctuate anything because they're not writing good sentences. Right. And if you start looking at, if you start adding the punctuations, you're like, damn, that's choppy. Like, you know, those aren't, you know, that's, that's not, that's not, that's not writing. (laughs) Punctuation was going to be my next question was, do you even use it? Yeah, I love it. It's important. Yeah. In poetry. Well, I mean, but it's different in poetry because you're not writing a full sentence and then adding a period necessarily. Yeah, well, the poets poets who don't use punctuation are really good. If you add the punctuation, a lot of times it's really amazing. Like, you pick a WS Merwin poem and you add the the punctuation, you're like, oh, it's Henry James. Right. Right. You know, not like a bunch of, like, you know, things that are, you know, just the same right. subject verb subject verb you know period. Or, or you could go totally e cummings on it and just like use the shape to like the sky is can I mean, sometimes he does that he writes a lot of damn sentences too yeah yeah he sure or, you does, just, yeah. or you can just go christopher walken and take out all the punctuation <laughs> <laughs> i have a friend i mean i have friends who don't punctuate it's amazing like they, there's a they can be really masterful too you know but it's not that they're they, they're not getting away from syntax right. and like writing. Yeah. <laughs> See, to me, though, like poetry is just like music. You have to hear it. You have to read it out loud. It's not a quiet medium. It's yeah. it needs to exist in the space. Yeah. And when you look at it as a reader or somebody who, who reads it that way, what is punctuation? Punctuation is instructions to the reader on where to pause how to pause, what inflection goes where, what's that cadence and rhythm. And that, I think, can be introduced through punctuation. Yeah. More than just in poetry. I mean, in plays. I think it's also know, in every subject and verb. It's like the parts that make the engine go. Yeah. Like the charge, right? It's like, you kind of like, okay, like any like weird that you do with phrases and clauses, that's all about doing something with the subject and the verb. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's this active kind of like drama of that's going on with, you know, with the sentence itself. It's, you know, that, that's going on there. What was, there was a funny, I don't know, I can't remember what it was. Okay, okay. 
<laughs> when you go back to your first books and the first poems you wrote, are they like old friends or do you go, oh, wow, like uh, where was I in this space at that time? Or or are you really cr- like critical of it? Because as a writer, I feel like I'm very critical of the poetry I wrote, you know, eight years ago. Well, like it's like, you know, my first book, there's one poem I wrote when I was 23 and it came out when I was 37, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. So like most of those poems, I'm like pretty much, they, they're, I, I can read them and I'm like, yeah, that's still good. I mean, I, I don't have that, but if I went and I like read my like master's thesis, you know, I would be like, this juvenile, or sometimes, you know, I'll find like an old notebook, you know, like with my, my old writing and all that, you know, and I, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, this is terrible. I'll throw it out <laughs> for the copy, right? You know, other things too, like if you read a letter that you wrote when you were a kid, right? You're like, <laughs> dumbass. Unbelievable, right? And you hear it, you go like, oh, here I was trying to impress this person and I was like super full of myself, pompous, yeah. you know, and trying to sound, you know, like you could see all that, like you know yourself too well. You're like, oh, that's But the poems, I don't feel that way. I felt like I burned all that out. I know, right? Like, if I had always been operating at that level, you know, I would have been a different kind of person, but, you know. Yeah, I I write a lot of crap. I throw out a lot, you know. Yeah, I think you have to as a writer. Yeah. I have to throw that out. Yeah. Uh, That's that's most of my, uh, most of my college. (laughs) You were a lot of college. Bob was one of my students. Wait, yeah. really? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 It's already like around really the same age. Oh, wow. You know, like, <laughs> you know, I'd be like, oh, you don't really need me to tell you anything about this. <laughs> you know, like, no. It's really good. You know, we just yeah. hung out. I needed the credit and I, I got a friend out of it. So it was. We just hung out, you know. We talked yeah. about That's a win. Well, you know. Welcome back to Balderdash Academy. Our scores are Steve with nothing. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, Appreciate it. Thank you. Molly with one pie. Nate with two pie. And Marie with two pie. So that's easy. (laughs) Alan will put the actual calculations on the screen for you. Nice. It's time for our second pop quiz. This pop quiz is from the head of STEAM, Professor Nate Green. Nate, what do you have? All right. Thank you, guys. It's so nice to see you again. It's been a long couple of weeks. Um, So I want to start by uh, just kind of recapping what we talked about uh, at the last staff meeting. Uh, Who can give me the best definition of the word cyborg? Cyborg. <laughs> anyway. uh, is that the game, or are you literally, literally I'm, I'm, no, I'm asking just, the question? I'm okay. legit asking. Okay. Uh, it's ah. it's the um it's a cousin of the um sci- uh, skateboard. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It is a skateboard. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. All right. So I thought it was the cousin of the Cyclops. It's like a that. Oh. That really helped me understand that you guys weren't paying attention at the the staff meeting. Sure, um, yeah. So, I wasn't even there. 
All right, once again, uh, the, the Oxford Languages Dictionary defines it as a fictional or hypothetical person who has physical abilities that are extended beyond normal human limitations by sure, mechanical sure. elements built into the body. Think, of you know, course. the Borg from Dude, Spy, yeah. Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Or Borg. Yeah. Um, now, um, which brings me to Neil Harbison. He is the world's first legally recognized cyborg. So there is something about him that mm. makes him a cyborg. Something that uh, increases his uh, human limitations by mechanical elements. What is that that makes him a cyborg? Here's the game. <laughs> oh, that's the, oh, that's the game. Okay, this is the game. We're in. So what what okay. makes him? What makes Neil Har- Harbison a cyborg? Uh, let's go with uh, uh, Ma- uh, Marie first. Yeah, sure. Um, he has um, a mechanical eyeball. Um, this eyeball is able to um, detect weather before it happens. He is able to use his mechanical eyeball to look into the air and the particles and molecules that are already in the air compute to his mechanical eyeball and tell him what is to be expected in the um, approximate next 16 hours, weather-wise specifically. Wow, that's a... Uh... That he should go into the news. Um, all right, now. Uh, yeah, he should. Yeah, I know. He's missing a career there. Uh, Steve, um, what makes Neil Harbison a, a, a cyborg? Um, so he was the first person to ever wear um, a Bluetooth headset, one of those ones that you talk into that people don't use anymore. <laughs> At the same time, he was wearing a, a pair of those Nike shoes that lace themselves up from back to the future, which are actually real now. And yeah. he also coincidentally was wearing the prototype Google glass glasses. Um, so if you're wearing those three things at the same time, you're technically a cyborg. Also, he's from Western Pencil- uh, Pennsylvania. So he's a Pittsburgh. Nice. So I think I I think I lost my chance of getting any pie tonight. <laughs> so hungry. Sounds too. like your typical Saturday night. Yeah. True, Molly. All right. Uh Molly, what makes uh, Neil Harbison a cyborg? Okay, well, um, Neil, actually, people don't know this, but he didn't start out human. He actually started out more Borg. He uh, went to see the Wizard of Oz down the Yellow Brook Lane, and he actually was bestowed a heart. And that heart Mm. is the human part of him. And the tin that was his body, that is his body, I shall say, is his body, is the Borg. So it's actually not what machinery made him a cyborg. It's what human part made him. And he's very thankful to the wizard to this day. That is amazing. So we have the brave little toaster with his blanket. Uh, And Bob, um, what made Neil Harbison uh, a cyborg? So I remember reading about this in Wired. It made national news. Neil was one of the very first people to have lightning strike him while wearing Bluetooth headphones, thereby permanently sealing the headphone in his ear. Because of that, he can now increase the volume and have better than normal 
human hearing through that one earpiece. The problem is when he sleeps, he has to plug his head in. Mm. So fused Bluetooth uh, earpiece, uh, which comes with a surcharge of charging at night. Um, Exactly. That those are all fantastic answers. Uh, before we move into to how many uh, mathematical pies are going to be doled out here uh, in this bakery, I just want to tell you what the real answer is. You guys were really close. I feel like I don't even need to say this, but he was born with the inability to see color. It was really bad. He could only see things in black and white. Um, so well. what he did was he found somebody who remains unnamed and uncredited to uh, implant a chip in the back of his head. Uh, this is my bald spot. Uh, and um, <laughs> Thank you for the tour. You're welcome. And I'm still working so on mine. Chip, I'll, I'll get there. Don't worry. You'll get, I know you will. Uh, the chip has a, uh, a fiber optic cable that comes up whoop, above his head and kind of hangs right here. It's kind of like an antenna. And it is this real? can... Yes, it is 100% real. Yeah. And wow. it can pick up colors and it changes those colors into vibrations on the chip on his head. Huh. So he hears colors. And um what? so what he said, this is uh, uh, a quote from what he said at a TED Talk. Um he said, quote, "At the start, I had to memorize the names you give to each color and I had to memorize the notes." But after some time, all this information became a perception. When I started to dream in color, I felt like the software in my brain had united. Anastasia. Um, so, so Bless now, now we come to the to the fruitful part of this. Uh, yes. Where you get to dole Fruit. out some mathematical Definitely pie. Some fruit pie. Fruit pie. Uh, so we have... Bluetooth thing? Yeah. Like, totally. I don't like anything put in anybody's ears. Right. So it's a great idea. I love the idea of having a weather, AccuWeather eyeball, which is like really great, you know, kind of uh, maybe a, kind of a character in the Avengers or something like that. Right. <laughs> Patent pending. Molly has got the pie for the Tin wow. Man. It's just so touching, right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Oh. Right. Yeah, definitely. If I only had a heart. Definitely. <laughs> Tin Man on the Yellow Brick Path. <laughs> yeah. It was a hidden lane. You know, the, ro- the famous the Yellow Brick Path. Is, right. See, the Yellow Brick Road was sens- sensationalized. It was actually just a path, but for the movie mm, and the book, they turned it into yeah. a road. Wasn't he from yeah, Boston? Yeah, yeah. Wasn't the guy, wasn't that, was it the short Scarecrow or the um, Tin Man was from Boston? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Get Ray Bulger, I think. Yeah, I think. Right? I love that Bob There's... knows this. Of course Bob knows yeah. this. Yeah. And that is the truth, but what's next could be a lie, because our next game is Lie, Lie Again. Let's go. And that is actually a truth. You can look it up. I will read a weird or unusual fact about a select member of the faculty. Now, this statement can be true, or it can be a lie. Our visiting professor and fellow faculty members may question the subject to better understand whether or not the statement is the truth or a lie. Either way, the subject must convince everyone else that the uh, the unusual fact is true, no matter how absurd it sounds. Right? This is for points, too. This is for points. Now... All the pies. The truth 
is, uh, well, Marie once had to dress as Little Red Riding Hood for an angry orchard ad. Isn't that right, Marie? Yes, it is. Who has our first question for Marie? Uh, 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 Steve, um, go ahead. Uh, when was this, Marie? Uh, it was last fall. Mm-hmm. So that would have been the, the fall of 2019. Was this a regional Pre-corona. campaign? Pre-corona. Oh. Was it a region, regional or... Um, <laughs> yeah, it was filmed... <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't actually seen the final commercial mm. for this yet. So um, vi- I don't video, know if... video commercial. Yes, yes, it oh. was. It was a video, and it was actually in an orchard um, in Lymington. And yeah, I had to dress as Little Red Riding Hood, and I borrowed the costume from Mad Horse. Yes, Molly. Hmm. Um, who booked you in this? Uh, character. Angry Orchard? <laughs> <laughs> or who, Wait, Angry, who Angry Orchard does their through? own booking? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who are you booked for? Dear Go Talent Agency. And okay. for whom was the company that was filming the commercial? Because it's not Angry Orchard, it's their marketing No, agency. no, they, they, uh, they hired um, the Knack Factory out of South Port- Portland. Um, they're so good. And... <laughs> hey, don't advertise for I them. I love those guys. <laughs> no, we don't love they them. They are. They're phenomenal. Really the Mac Factor are great people. Um, and I've, I've we done love a few Warp different shoots. <laughs> um, I've done a few different commercials with them. And every single time I have like the greatest experience. They are super kind people. And they know that I'm an improviser. So they knew that they could just give me like a scene and not have to like these are your specific lines you must memorize. They knew that mm. I was going to be able to just like kind of go with the flow. Yeah. All right. Give us a rundown of, of what yeah. you shot of, how, you know, you. Uh, yeah. And how you expect okay. the commercial would come out. Like give us the, the, the storyline. Um, well, it in. was for a cider. It was for a hard cider, angry orchard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were in it's out. It's It was filmed. I would imagine to be like that scene in the wizard of Oz when the the trees when little are red throwing the shows apples, up? no, that when the trees are throwing the apples at Dorothy uh-huh. and them when they're uh-huh. walking down the and the down yeah. the road. Oh, the, and so the scary I was part. Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, it's <laughs> that is a scary part. As a kid, I was also terrified of the flying monkeys. Um, there were scary. no flying monkeys in this commercial, and there was no wizard and, or anybody from the world of Oz in this commercial. But the trees were obviously just trees. They were not CGI'd when I was there, but they had us be near these really large trees so that they could put faces in them, like the packaging of the Angry Orchard. They have faces in the trees. So I had to just be, like I was in this red dress with a red cape and a hood, and I had a little basket and I was picking up apples as I went, and I had to pretend to not see the like, wolf man that was behind me um and so i all i did was like literally play like an innocent girl just like walking along the orchard picking up apples and putting them in my basket um and that was that was all i did um and then like and then i would like make comments on how beautiful the apple was which was part of the improvising part of it they didn't have me have an actual script Mm. um they were just like we want you to respond to the things you're picking up and i don't think that any of my voice stuff is going to actually end up in it because it was mostly wide shots. Um, right. So they were, they were setting the scene because the trees in the commercial, I think we're going to be the focal point. And then like me as the little girl <laughs> was just like the 
scenic setting, I guess. I don't really know how to describe it. Yeah. (laughs) Any other questions for Marie? David, it looked like Marie. You drink Angry Orchard Cider? Uh, Do I drink Angry Orchard Cider? Or in the commercial did I? Yeah, both. Um, I, I used to drink a lot of cider, um, and I had actually sort of eased off. It's some of it's really, really sugary. And I find angry orchard to be very sugary. I yeah. was gifted a six pack to take home with me as part of like the, cause they just had, they had some like merchandising around. And so they were showing me the boxes and like showing me how the trees in the setting were going to look like the trees on the packaging. Um, and so I went home with some Angry Orchard, and I think I ended up giving it away to friends, to be honest with you. Oh, God. not going <laughs> to wow. be a sponsor. Not going to be a sponsor. <laughs> so how does it handle... Any more questions? The payroll aspects. Hmm. Oh, true, true, true. Payroll? Yeah, uh, yeah. 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 Like, like, how was the payment handled? You know? uh, I actually, I received a check from Deergo Talent as my agent, and so they take their percentage, and then they pay... The, so um, I think it was the Knack Factory paid Dirigo for my services and then Dirigo took their cut and then I got my check. Mm. Um, flat rate or hourly? Thank you. Flat rate. How long did it take to shoot? Half day, full day? I was there for probably like six hours, but they told me it would be up to 10. Would you eat some craft services? They didn't really have full on craft services. <laughs> you just had some apples. <laughs> but I did get an email apples. the day before. <laughs> some craft singles. Yeah, apples and Angry Orchard. Um, I, I got an email the night before asking me what kind of sandwich I wanted, and I, I elected for That's turkey. Daring. Standard. Sandwich. Okay, yeah. I, yeah. I, that, that, that adds and, up. And it was I've bottles of water. Turkey sandwiches. Hmm. Yeah. So they, but they okay. made so. commercial in, in, in Maine. Uh, yeah, they, well, there's an orchard in Lemington. Where do they make it? Now, was, where's, that, where's that base? Where's, I don't know. From? It's a national like a company. National thing, or is that like- yeah, it is. I think it's yeah. actually, it might be owned by Budweiser. Bush, yeah. Might yeah. I've, I have a question. Wait, um, wait, wait. <laughs> so <laughs> this orchard that you were shooting in, was a, can you describe, was it like, uh, what was the landscape like? I know there were trees around, there were apple trees, but like... <laughs> Was it on a mountain? Was it on a, uh, was it flat or, you know, like, it was flat. It was, it was flat. Um, and the, um, like the pathways, aisles. Sure. Yeah. The area in between the the two lines of trees, the road. None of us are arborists. You can make up a word. (laughs) The, the, there was probably like, at least 25 feet in between the rows of the trees because the camera people were like right on the tree line of one row. And Mm. I was like behind the tree line of the next because I was like behind the trees. Okay. What year was this? Uh, It was fall, fall of last year. It was like end of September, I think. So like the trees had just... Pre-corona. <laughs> Back when we were so, all allowed on stage. Yeah, so any, and sets. Any other questions? Any other questions for Marie? Let's, let's so, wrap this bad boy up. You've heard yep. the questions. Let's hear the conclusion. Steve, truth or a lie? You always start with me, uh, and I take the longest. <laughs> um, I don't know why a national chain is shooting an ad in Limington. I don't know, because you know they're based out of 
where's Bush based out of Virginia? Why would they be? Well, she did say that it was a regional ad, not a national. Okay. But still, regional ads could be shot anywhere. They don't have to be shot. Yes, in the they can. Ugh, but you know, that's the sort of thing Marie would have her hands in that sort of pie, and yep. she would make yep. an amazing Little Red Riding Hood. She if I was going to cast a Little Red Riding Hood movie, I never thought of this, but Marie would be my first choice. I'm going to say just because um, I think the I think the last couple of Maries were true, so I'm going to say this one is a lie. All right, lie for Steve. Molly, what's your call? Gosh darn it. See, the problem with this is that she can take all this information that is true to her real life. Like, I know you're with Deerigo Talent. I know the guys at Net Factory. I know, I know how this works. But I know that you've done this stuff before, so you can incorporate all that into it. So it's really pissing me off because I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, it's probably false, but I'm going to say true. All what, right, what? true. All that Molly, reasoning Nate, what just to end up with true. Ah. Uh, it's a lie. Uh, the like Steve said, the past few have been true, and they've all centered in her distant past. This is very recent, mm. and it is very close to what she could craft a well-made lie out of, which is what I know you like giving yes. people, Bob. Oh, um, <laughs> so I'm going with a lie. Yeah. All right, David, you have Steve with a lie, Molly with a truth, Nate with a lie. What's your call? Is she telling the truth or is it a lie? I think it's a lie. Lie. Yeah. All right. So we have Steve with a lie, Molly with a truth, Nate with a lie, David with a lie, Marie, fess up. I have done a focus group for Angry Orchard, but I have uh, never yeah, been yeah. in an no. Angry Orchard yeah. commercial. Ah, uh, got him. <laughs> Focus That's group. good though. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But I, I was actually hired for a focus group to go and give them feedback on their packaging. Ah, so, there you go. There Bob you go. did not know that. Bob, I <laughs> do you not. Because regional ads are not usually like that, right? Like regional ads are it's like using CGI. Regional ads are like yeah. guys that are like, you know, like he's like standing there and all of a sudden there's like a background of like boots. <laughs> not necessarily. No, 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 not necessarily. It depends. It depends on the budget. Not necessarily. Yeah. Depends on the budget. Really? I, yeah, yeah. This is my life. I'm some in, banks, I'm in right? life. bank commercials. The banks, banks, regional commercials. Now, I also yeah. don't think there's 25 feet between rows of apples. <laughs> That's where you lost Nate. Yeah. That's where you that lost is him. A waste well, of space. Like, okay, it has. Has yeah. to be enough to have depth, <laughs> and and the, or a flat and, orchard in Limington. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The orchard I know in Limington is on a hill. Right. All, right. All the so, orchards are on hills. <laughs> David, like you a, have very never mind. Uh, Steve got it right. Molly got it wrong. Nate got it right. How would you like to score? Who wait? How do who gets points? However, However you, you want. want to give points to. You can give it to Marie for crafting a story. You can give it to everybody. I think, I think you, you can give, give it to yourself. You've got to True. give points to the people who are right. Right. So All right. Now. Does that mean I get so, I? Steve is finally on the board. What? <laughs> this is crazy. But you know what? I think only a half pie. <laughs> no! Oh. <laughs> So close. <laughs> I was too excited. One, I lost half a pie. All right. One so point. 
two, That's the end seven, of our one. first half. Our points are in last place with half pie, Steve. <laughs> yeah, thank you, guys. Next, we have a tie between... <laughs> We have a tie between Molly and Nate with two pie each. In the lead, we have Marie with two and one half pie. So join us when we return with Coach Steve and Mask Charades. Only on Balderdash Academy. Go Dashers! <laughs> Marie, I saw you use your just your like your excuse to just flex your arms. You're like yeah, the trees yeah. were this yeah, far yeah. apart. Yeah, you did. And this like, this far apart. They're like over there. I've been working and... out in quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> it's been since um, June seventeenth was my last real workout. <laughs> Welcome back to Balderdash Academy. Our points are in last place. Coach Steve Corning with Thank half you. pie. Yeah, I'm used to it. <laughs> Tied for second, we have Molly and Nate with two pie. And in the lead, we have Marie with two and a half pie. Wow. Bring out the gun. That was for you, Steve. So that marks our halftime with our halftime sports trivia. Coach of the Dashers, Steve Corning. Let's go. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Uh, Let's just cut right to the chase this week, guys. We are playing once again everyone's favorite game show. What's the context? context? This is going to be huge uh, someday, somewhere. Um, So (laughs) this week on What's the Context? Um, I'm going to kind of set up a scenario for you with, of course, just like last week, a quote. I think we did a quote last week. Yes. And uh, you just have to tell me the context of why this person is saying this thing. So you guys know I'm a Celtics fan. We're going to do a little Celtics thing here today. Um, Gordon Hayward been playing with the Celtics for three or so years. One year his leg was broken. But other than that, he's been playing with the Celtics for about uh, three seasons. It happens. Yeah. Um, now, on July 9th, 2018, uh, a video was posted on Instagram by Gordon Hayward's wife, Robin Hayward. Um, now, this was a couple minutes long, and there was only one thing that Gordon Hayward said in the video. Uh, the one thing Gordon Hayward said in this video is he said, Daddy's always happy. All right. And this has become quite popular on the Internet, especially in the, the NBA subreddit to say Daddy's always happy. I just want to know the context. Why did Gordon Hayward say daddy's always happy? And uh, I will take your answers. Who's making the best eye contact? It's not Molly. (laughs) All right, Nate. Why is daddy always happy? Why'd you call on me first? Um... (laughs) You were making great eye contact. (laughs) The the judges will look at that and agree with me. That was great eye contact. Uh, I wasn't looking. I can't agree. I mean, the, the... Real reason behind this is because uh, right before he said that, he was given a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and uh, the peanut butter was crunchy peanut butter, which is the best peanut butter, and Mm. um, he was very happy about that, and he said, Daddy's always happy. (laughs) Thank you, Nate. Sandwiches for Steve. (laughs) Honestly, if you don't know the answer, just say sandwiches. Um, It's my game, and... (laughs) <laughs> you know, I don't get you, I don't give you points, but it makes me happy. So thank you, Nate. Oh damn it, uh, Marie! You're making second best eye contact. Why is Daddy yes. always happy? Um, well, 
Robin and Gordon were in the process of potty training their three-year-old. Um, and in order to inspire their three-year-old to go on the potty, they had to remind him that it's what makes daddy happy. Daddy's always happy when he's on the potty. And so over and over again, they're trying to inspire their toddler to go on the potty. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Marie. You're welcome. Uh, let's potty go to Molly. Difficult. Molly, you were making the worst eye contact, but you're going third. Why? Did Gordon Hayward say on July 9th, 2018, daddy's always happy. Thank you so much, Steve, for calling on me. Um, the reason why he said daddy's always happy is uh, Robin was recording him. And, um, it was actually his birthday. Um, and Robin was recording it. And he was opening his presents. And he was opening his gift from his children. And uh, tissue paper flying gets into the heart of it, takes it out, and it is a um, chef's apron. Uh, okay. And he holds it up, and he says, Daddy's always happy. Okay. But what they cut out was while grilling. Gotcha. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was actually a birthday gift for him. It was a it's an apron for when he's barbecuing. Beautiful. Thank you, Molly. <laughs> Bob, I did not take note of your eye contact, but so you were going forth. <laughs> All right. So what happened? And this is, is very famous for being an exaltation of crushing disappointment. He um, it was his birthday. His uh, his wife got him a brand new car. He had his heart set on uh, on a little sporting number. So his his kid went up, grabbed the front of that uh, big giant. It was a bedspread with a little bow on top. Pulled it aside. It was a Geo, classic, nineteen ninety, <laughs> mint wow. condition. And he's like, "Yay, Daddy's always <laughs> happy." <laughs> Thank you guys. Sarcastic. Oh, so, uh, uh, exaltation of joyous disappointment. Nate, your face right now is freaking terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been staring at that for a while. (laughs) Oh my god! Oh my god! If you're listening to this, if you're listening to this on the podcast, you have to see it on YouTube. I'm dying. I'm so freaked out. I'm gonna have It's like zombie Annie. Stop! I got the good point. David, what? Yes, that's how you get highs. You just freeze. Steve, I'm gonna give you the pie. <laughs> this is crazy, All guys. Right. This is a historic moment. You know, I mean, like, you know, because those Celtics. Yeah. Right. All right. Yeah. Honestly, oh, you know, there's eventually. no, there's no basketball team from Pittsburgh. There's, you know, there's hockey, there's football, there's baseball. There's no basketball team. So you're welcome to be a Celtics fan. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll accept you. Great guy. I mean, Gordon's come back from that injury. He's played well. Yeah. He's really adapted. You know. Yeah, he's he's a great player. Yeah, I really like watching him. Um, so. <laughs> sorry david was there oh, did you like any of those answers or were you just gonna give me the pie and no one else pie that's, that's a very believable answer they are they were yeah they hard time choosing you know that works i'll take the pie that's fine yeah thank you so much <laughs> you need it so just <laughs> is that 1.5 take the pie 1.5 one pies. and a half oh, yeah 1.5 yeah. pie one and a half um pie. so guys the, the context 
Um, you're actually pretty close here. Um, the uh, two ladies who mentioned uh, Gordon Hayward having kids, of course, and the way Bob said it. Bob, would you mind saying it again? <laughs> Uh, joyous exaltation of crushing disappointment. Yeah, and and say daddy's always happy in that same voice because it was perfect. Daddy's always happy. That's that's almost exactly how Gordon Hayward said it in this video. The context was, of course, <laughs> he was at a uh, gender reveal party for his child, him, Ooh. his wife, and his two daughters, and they open the box and out come the pink balloons. Gordon oh, Hayward's no. having. <laughs> A third daughter. <laughs> so, oh, daddy's always happy. Yep. Girl, daddy's always <laughs> happy. All right. So, at the end, we have Steve with one and a half pie. Yes. We have Nate and Molly with two pie. So, what that means is Marie is doing mask <gasps> charades. David has secretly told Marie what his favorite movie is. Marie will then try to perform the name of the movie in a game of charades or charades if you're from uh, overseas. The rest of the faculty will don blindfolds and try to guess the movie based on my poor description of Marie's charades. Blindfolds on. (laughs) Here goes. All right. Faculty ready? Yes. Yes, sir. Yep. Marie, ready? All right. Here we go. First word. First syllable. Mm. Sounds like she's pointing to her butt. Uh, She's pointing to her butt. Putt. Tut. Sphincter. Yes, it's ass. It ass. sounds ass. like ass. <laughs> okay. Okay. Ass. That's like not ass. the only thing that sounds like ass in this game. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Shut it down. All right. Second syllable. Sounds like money. I'm assuming it's a dollar bill. Ass bill. Ass. ass bill. So. Bill. Sounds yes. like. Sounds like bill. Sounds like cash. Sounds like Ooh. Sounds like money. Sounds like money. Buns. Is it one word, Bob? Do we know that? Just one word. Bank. This is the second syllable of one word. But do we know if t- how long the title is? <laughs> you know, David's favorite <laughs> movie, word. Ass Bank. It's just it's one, one word. word, Ass Bank. Maybe it's a porno. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> Marie, is it two words or one? One word. One word. Okay. Uh, so, so it sounds like ass bang. Ass, ass cash. Ass. <laughs> ass money. Ass dollars. Ass funds. Ass it's gold standard. Sounds, ass sounds Benjamins. Like ash. Ass Benjamins. Sounds like ash. A uh, dollar bill. Sounds like money. Ass. Okay. Ass money. Ass. Ass, ass, ass money. money. <laughs> I, think, I, I think. Is it I think gas money? Kim, I think that's, that's a little Kim song. Ass money, it is. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, She's waving her hands above her face, above her hand. Big. She's doing something big. Uh huh. Big ass money. Big ass money. (laughs) She's she's hammering on a table. Okay. Whoa. She's running. Oh, it's a John Carpenter movie. Ass ass money. 
the thing. Moneyball. Ask money. Moneyball. Moneyball. Yes. Um. Um. She's wow. praying right now, hoping you get the right answer. She's playing a guitar. As she's playing music. Music. She's guitar. strumming. Player? Now she's Musician. singing. Ooh. Now Musician. she's singing. Musician. Singer. Performer. Now artist. she's. I don't know. <laughs> she doesn't know. She's shrugging. Is it days? She confused? doesn't know. She's playing uh, an instrument. And she doesn't know. It's Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that that was Who's it? Really? Okay. Ass money. That's um, the sequel. Uh, ass money too. <laughs> <laughs> um. Is there another syllable you can go to? <laughs> what else does it, Marie? What else no. does it sound like besides "ass money"? Two syllables, one word, two syllables. Two syllables. Ass cash. <laughs> is that what it is? Is this a pornography film, no. David? <laughs> He's like, my favorite movie is a porno. <laughs> what do you guys watch? She ran away. She's back. Uh, she's back. I'm, she's gone. Gone girl. Syllable. Change. She's running, holding change. She's she's brought in props of cash. Loose change. Sounds like change. Robber. Sounds like coins. Robber. Sounds like currency. Denomination. Jingle all the way. Sounds. Dineros. (laughs) What is going on out there? I wish I could see it. Booty money. She's floundering, is what's happening. (laughs) Okay, all right. Wait, there's one Um, word, two syllables. Little mermaid. One sounds like ass. I think we need a hint. Can we get a hint from Marie? So, Marie, we're at the five minute mark. What is the first syllable? Nash. Nashville. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Which I have Nash. never seen. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, woo, so you were ass, ass billing? Ass billing. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, yeah. ass. Sorry, David. <laughs> oh, man. I still like ass money the best. I want to yeah. see ass money. Me too. <laughs> Booty cash. And then my the, what I do know is the television show Nashville. Right. I, have n- yeah. I actually had to look up the movie and like figure out if it was the movie and not the television show. Uh, people are going to want to watch the um, YouTube of this <laughs> just to see. Oh, my God. Marie frantically pointing, pointing at her at ass. Her ass. <laughs> yep. Over a, this will not be a hard one to sell from the podcast. So oh, if man. you want to see Marie pointing at her ass, just go on YouTube. How did you have a cash register drawer? <laughs> well, as I mentioned, I'm at my place of work. <laughs> Lisa Marie's maiden main shameless plug. If you like Portland Headlight. <laughs> True. <laughs> if you like Portland land, oh, oh boy. There you go. Yeah, so, so I did have cash at the ready. And you had ass at the ready, too. It, was, oh, it worked out so well. Cash and ash. I take that with me everywhere. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. David, you saw the game. How would you like to score? <laughs> I think you had to get Thank you. One Ooh, pie to Marie. Marie. 
lack of knowledge of Nashville. And then I was like, how do I describe Tennessee? <laughs> how do we confuse them more? All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So right now the scores are Steve with one and a half pie. Molly and Nate tied for two with Marie in the lead with three and a half. Join what? us when we return with a pop quiz from Marie and technically correct only on Balderdash Academy. Go Dashers. We All Have a Story is a podcast dedicated to learning more about the folks around us, one person at a time. We'll chat with accountants, bus drivers, entertainers, novelists, beekeepers, piano tuners, booksellers, artists, and more. Check out We All Have a Story using your favorite podcast app or service. So welcome back to Balderdash Academy. Our points are... Steve with one and a half pie. Molly and Nate tied with two pie. And Marie in the lead with three and a half pie. It's time for our final pop quiz of the night. This pop quiz is from the head of Home Ec and Wellness, Professor Marie Stewart Harmon. Thank you all for joining me here at this week's meeting. I'm always pleased to see you all. Um, And this week, I have a very, very tasty treat for you. Um, But first of all, I'm hoping that you guys might be able to guess what this superfood is. Mm. This superfood has massive amounts of nutrients with very few calories. It's loaded with antioxidants. Almost all of its carbs are fiber. It has a high quality protein and it is high in omega-3 fatty acids. And it can be turned into a pudding. Bob, you have a question? Irish moss carrageenan. Irish moss carrageenan. Would you like to tell us what that is, Bob? Uh, It's a seaweed. It's known as a sea vegetable. It's uh, the slime from Ghostbusters. It's a thickener in uh, toothpaste and milkshakes. All right. Something, something Keenan. Great. <laughs> Carrageenan. <laughs> Carrageenan. Carrageenan, the seaweed. Um, hey, Nate, what about you? What do you think the superfood could be? Pomegranate seeds. Pomegranate seeds. Yeah. Thank you. It's used as a binder in Slimers and... Um, and it squirts toothpaste from Ghostbusters. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Steve, how about you? Um, I believe this is congealed ladybug fat. Ladybug fat. Yep. Lipo-suction so all you need to do ladybug is... Um... <laughs> Don't give me your lipitude, Nate. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's uh, the, the best source is, of course, uh, squeezing um, 22,000 um, ladybugs. Um, 22,000. That makes one half portion. Yeah. So one half fresh, portion. fresh squeeze. So you need, you need 44,000 fresh squeezed yeah, ladybugs yeah, yeah. to get the appropriate get amount of your, your recommended amount of antioxidants per day. Yeah. Got it. Got it. And Thanks about, for asking. How about you, Molly? Yes, of course. Well, Molly. Well, look, it's. It's everyone's favorite. Um, just like all dietary uh, foods out there, it's, it's cyclical. And if it's good or it's bad for you, 
Um, it's actually bacon. Turns out bacon is a super food, wow. really good for you, full of fiber. Um, so all those bacon enthusiasts out there eating their choinklet or just enjoying a good slab of bacon, uh, <laughs> eat away because it's good for you. I think Molly's what working for big bacon. Uh, what is that's her new I gig. wish I was working for Big Bacon. <laughs> that I would be a great know. job. I would sell out for Big Bacon. <laughs> um, these were all really, really wonderful answers. Um, however, I'm not sure that I would enjoy a pudding made out of any of these things, mm. except for maybe the pomegranate seeds. Pomegranate seed pudding. I want just bacon. I want bacon like bacon strips on bacon strips pudding. On yeah, strips. that sounds. It's like I a blood pudding, pudding, right? Right, David, bacon pudding, right? Pudding. I, 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 I love blood pudding, so I'm all in. It. I just have a feeling <laughs> that quinoa or whatever that is. You think it's quinoa? Yeah. Quinoa is is jam packed, full of fiber, real good for your gut. Um, but this is actually something that you can mix with just a few other ingredients, stick it in your fridge overnight, and have it for breakfast. You, if you if you stir up some chia seeds, chia yeah. seeds have, are jam-packed full of nutrients, and mm. they have, like, hardly any calories with them. So you're absorbing all of this really, really good stuff for your body. So to make it tasty and delicious, um, mix up your – mix it up with some bacon. No, I just want the bacon. Bacon on bacon <laughs> on bacon, please. What are you doing? Put it – in water or something like that and then you put it you in. you you it's you can do water um the the recipe that i've used um you take your dry ingredients first you've got your cocoa powder um vanilla uh, so, uh, sorry cocoa powder cinnamon and you mix it up a little bit and then you add a little bit of maple syrup and vanilla to sweeten it to your taste mm. um add in some milk could you probably could do water but it would probably be more enticing with something of a of a creamy base it could be almond milk it could be coconut milk oat milk whatever you want whatever milk suits your fancy um, and then milk. you add shit yes if you can get enough um <laughs> you get a milk 44,000 ladybugs that's the hard 44,000 ladybugs to it's make your it. ladybug milk um and then you yeah. mix up your chia seeds right in with your milk substance and your milk stuff and your cocoa and cinnamon and then you put it in the fridge for six hours and you have a like really creamy pudding um oh. it can be treated as breakfast but you could also have it for dessert um oh, yeah. so David, we've got, this. it's really yeah, good <laughs> top yeah, it with some bananas yeah and some bacon recipe in the description yeah, Can I yeah, just I'll mention get, yeah. that right. I have a jar of chia seeds that have been sitting in the back of my fridge for probably like three years. What? They're so good for you. you Molly. Can also, yeah. You can also <clears throat> add just like a teaspoon of chia seeds to like a glass of water. They will. You'll yeah. see them start to like expand a little bit and then mm. you can drink your chia seeds as well. They're so good for and you the and they're so easy. Fun fact. Any leftovers, just spread it on a terracotta head, and next thing you know, you have a pet. <laughs> Bob Ross. So how would we like to score that? We have Bob's carrageenan. We've got Nate's pomegranate seeds. We've got uh, Steve's 22,000 ladybug squeezes. Per half portion. Uh, and we've got Molly's bacon on bacon on bacon. Okay. <laughs> Molly's bacon. One and a half pies. 
Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Ooh, a one and a half pie answer. Yes. Shoof. Yes, David. That's big. Bacon always gives you the next half. Yeah. All right. (laughs) All right. I want that right now, actually. Yeah, that sounds really good. You're welcome. It is really good. (laughs) Right now, we have Steve in last place with one and a half pie. Mm -hmm. Nate comes next with two pie. Molly and Marie are tied for three and a half pie. Holy bananas. Holy bacon chia. So right now, even though Molly and Marie are in the lead, it's still anybody's game. All right, cool. Except right. for me, obviously. Cool. Except for, uh, apparently, And I've yeah. only ever won so, once, by the way. Can I uh, just ask a quick question to David? Um, did the totally off topic has nothing to do with this, but I just... Uh, I just Venmoed you about uh, eight pounds of bacon. I uh, just want to make sure you got that. <laughs> Dude, if bacon just, worked on Venmo, I would be in trouble. Uh, yeah. Me too. Not, not, looking, for, not any, looking for extra pies. Any <laughs> angels out there who want to uh, fund us, we will be developing a bacon uh, cash app. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. Our next game is called Technically Correct. So I will read a uh, description of a movie that is technically correct. Our faculty members will all come up with an answer as fast as possible. (laughs) David will award points based on the answers that he likes best. Our first film. Scientists try to cure Alzheimer's and end up monkeying around. Nate, what's your answer? 21 Monkeys. 21 monkeys, which is like 12 monkeys with dyslexia. Molly, what do you have? Shoot. Um, uh, uh, fried green tomatoes. Fried green tomatoes. Steve. Uh, this is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And Marie. Is that the James Franco one? Because that's the one so. that I was going to say. Yeah, I think that so. That is okay. the James Franco one. Because <laughs> it, it goes so dawn one. and then rise. It's like, why would you go in that order? It should go rise and then dawn. It's okay. All right. Dawn of me. the Planet of the Apes for both Steve and Marie. The answer for scientists trying to cure Alzheimer's and end up monkeying around is dawn Ooh! of the Planet of the Apes. Steve and Marie get the right answer. David, how would you like to score? Nate gets the point. What? Nate gets the I, I am leaving the show. <laughs> I just I just pulled that Ray out of my is ass. Ray's best. What? All right. I'm just, you know what? I'm just proud of myself for for Ray actually knowing what that was. best. The next movie. School kids give an oral presentation. Molly, what do you have? The movie Kids. <laughs> All right, Steve, what's your uh, answer? This is Nashville, a.k.a. Ass Money. <laughs> ass Money? All right. Marie, what's your answer? Uh, I'm pretty sure there's a movie called Spelling Bee. <laughs> there is. Yes, Spelling Bee. Yeah, going with that. Yeah, and Nate? Uh, School of Rock. School of Rock. All good answers. The real answer for school kids given oral presentation was actually <laughs> Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh my god, we see it every game. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I like it. Molly and Nate each get half pie. 
Yes! Whoa! Molly yes. and Nate each get half pie. Again, not Steve, Molly and Nate. Each- <laughs> it makes sense. It, it adds up. All right, the I, next I movie. David didn't like my uh, my uh, Pittsburgh joke, and uh, I think it's <laughs> I felt that one. All right, the next movie. We all felt it. <laughs> A taxi driver falls for the perfect woman, Steve. A uh, streetcar named Desire. Ooh, good answer. Thank you. Not that you deserve a pie. (laughs) Marie, what do you have? (laughs) Annie, little orphan Annie. (laughs) Annie. It was either that or a stroke. (laughs) Uh, Scrooged. Scrooge. And Molly. Cars. Cars. <laughs> no. I feel like that's your go-to at this point. All right. So Cars. a taxi driver falls for the perfect woman describes the fifth element. Oh, oh, wow. oh yeah. Okay. Oh, that's a sneaky. Taxi driver. Both are technically correct. So David, Steve had a streetcar named Desire. Marie had Annie. Nate had Scrooged. And Molly had Cars. How would you like to score? Bob. Uh, you haven't gotten any pie yet, so I'm going to give you some pie. Oh, yeah. Pie! Honestly, you deserve pie for that one. That was really good. Yeah, it was so funny. <laughs> All right. The last movie, Visitors Help Residents Save Their Property. Marie, what's your answer? The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. Nate, what do you have? Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> Shawshank Redemption. Molly. Uh, Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. Steve, what do you have? Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Close Encounters. So, visitors help residents save their property is a description of batteries not included. Oh. That was was a movie that that got referenced like five episodes ago. Yeah. Last week. Sneaky, right, so I was very sneaky this week. Steve gets some pie. Steve, <gasps> what? I did. Steve gets Steve. pie. Steve gets some pie. You gave... Now has got everybody gets to go home with with some pie. Okay, everybody okay. gets some pie. So before we find out who's the winner tonight, it's now time for the moral of our evening. Mm. So today's moral is simple. After. Listening to the answers for the games after having a nice chat with David about poetry, after playing and after spending time with friends this evening, the moral is clear. Bacon always gives you a bonus. <laughs> also, we, so, should, yes. we should make bacon Venmo because I think that's going to be huge. Bacon Venmo. <laughs> it's a huge idea. Just think about you it. You heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we could call our it idea. pork belly. Yeah, pork belly, pork belly me some bacon. Yeah, right? there you go. I'm All right, still so. really into little zombie Annie. Yeah. <laughs> little we zombie. Might, we might workshop it. You know, we'll workshop the it. The brains will come out tomorrow. Okay, so um, it's a hard our knock scores. <laughs> it's an undead life. For us. Uh, uh, so um, 
Our point totals in last place, we have myself with one pie. Oh, nice work. Next, we have Coach Steve with two and a half pie. There it is. We have a tie for second place between Marie and Nate with four pie. Our champion is Molly with four pie. Look at that dance. (laughs) Yes! Yes! David, thank you for joining us tonight. It's been a pleasure. You can come back anytime. Anytime. So, except tomorrow, we're not shooting him. Find except for tomorrow. tomorrow. You can find David's work at davidblairpoetry.com, and all links to his work will be in the description. Thank you for watching Balderdash Academy. I've been your headmaster, Bob LeBlanc. Joining me has been the head of English language arts. And champion of tonight's program, Molly McGill. Sight! Well done. Well done. Head of STEAM, Professor Nate Green. I lost! (laughs) (laughs) Head of Home Ec and Wellness, Marie Stewart Harmon. No, Nate, we got second! together and a winner by anybody's right coach of the balderdash academy dashers coach steve corning oh we'll get him next time (laughs) we have been balderdash academy have a good night (laughs) bye everyone you're beautiful this is bob the theaters might be closed but there are still shows to catch and one that i recommend is 45 Plays for America's First Ladies by Chloe Johnson, Sharon Green, Ginevra Galabayades, Bilal Dardai, and Andy Bayades. The show leaps from comic to tragic as it surveys the lives of the women who have served and avoided serving as First Lady, from Martha to Melania. A biographical, metatheatrical, genre-bending ride through race, gender, and everything else your history teacher never taught you about the founding of America. Live performances October 8th and 9th at 7.30 p.m. Central and October 11th at 2 p.m. Central. Or catch their recorded show October 13th through November 2nd. Tickets are only $15 and the show is appropriate for high school-aged kids and up. You can find more information online at neofuturists.org or check out the link in the description. Good night and thank you for listening to the podcast. We have options available if you'd like to support the show directly. Or show your school colors with some Balderdash Academy merchandise. For more information on the show, support options, or merchandise, please visit our website at balderdashacademy.com. Thank you for listening, and have a good night. Loving what you're hearing? Now imagine if you could actually see Molly's point-winning angry face, Marie's up-close-and-personal lean-in, Nate's... Where is he now? Is he in the bathroom still? Steve's coveted sweatband, and Bob's juggling of all things tech. Yeah, it gets pretty wild. See all this and more by catching episodes on Balderdash Academy's YouTube channel.